I'm excited about today's message, and I always try to come up with some kind of pithy title, some kind of a simple, memorable, uh, something that will stick in your mind and, and maybe you can take home with you. And so today I titled the sermon, How to Keep from Losing Your Gourd in a World of Sickness and Death and Isolation and Friction Between Friends and Uncertainty and Cancellations and Tribalism and Racism and Boredom and Hate and Financial Stress and maybe kids screaming and being misunderstood while trying really hard at least some of the time, but falling short and wanting to rest, but failing and seeking purpose, but life is difficult, grinding, ah, the five R's. There it is. Take that home with you. Meditate on that for a while. I, uh, I know people are having a hard time. I, I talk to friends all the time. I counsel people. Um, I hear about pastors and churches and, and people who have lost loved ones and I uh, heard about a friend recently who caught, who caught COVID in November or December, uh, a friend of a friend in December, and thought it was a piece of cake, and then now they're having heart palpitations and fluctuations, and their heart rate soars to over 200 beats per minute and then lowers to 40 beats per minute, and they can't medicate either way because if they medicate in one direction, it's going to cause problems in the other, and so this person is kind of stuck with these, and I can't imagine the anxiety that produces, and so... And, and they're just one of many, many people that are, that are suffering from either being out of school or not being able to participate in their homecoming dances as kids or graduating high school, uh, meeting in person. And I know that here at Daylight, it's, it's hard for us not to be in connection with one another too. And so it's, it's a tough world right now. And thankfully, Paul in this, in this next portion of the book of Philippians sort of touches on that. We're, we're going through the ver- book of Philippians uh, step by step, and we're on part seven, which is... Uh, Chapter 4 is where we're beginning today. And Philippians is, is as we've mentioned many times in here, vignettes with a theme. Uh, it's like a collection of little thoughts and ideas that you can apply to your life. And that theme is this. It's that your, 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 li- your life story is supposed to be an expression of Jesus' life story. And that is a story of letting go. And so we're going to dive into the text right now, uh, starting in Philippians chapter 4. Says He does a little housekeeping here. There's a couple people in, in Philippi that are apparently having some arguments, and he wants to kind of calm things down. So he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodiah, and I plead with Sintik to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. And then he starts diving into a few more vignettes. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. One of the points I mentioned last week that I want to reiterate here is that we're going to watch TV for a minute, and what I mean by that is when you, when you read Scripture, a lot of times we, we treat it completely different than we do to sit down and watch a movie or sit down and watch a TV show in that we... We read a little bit, and then we hit pause and think, how does that apply to my life? And, and, and as Christians, if you've grown up in the church, you've been encouraged to do that, is read your daily chapter, of, you know, your chapter of Proverbs, or read your, 
your Psalms for the day or your New Testament portion for the day and then and sit and say, what, is this, what does this speak to me? And there's, there's something to that. It's important that we get Scripture in us and, and, and study it and study it well. But a lot of times you would never think about watching a movie and being 20 minutes in, pausing it and then turning to everybody in the room and saying, so what do you think about this? What, what did that scene mean to you? It would be kind of annoying to do that. And so sometimes when we tackle these letters, it's important that we, we look big picture. We, we unpause and look at the big thing. And so you'll find all these connecting words in Paul's writing, like therefore. So therefore connects with whatever the thought was prior to that. And it, it, it adds on to that. So when he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, he's saying, now, with all that in mind, let's consider this next thing. And so we have to kind of backpedal to make sense of as we, as we pedal forward. And uh, this is what we've discovered so far in the book of Philippians, is that Paul's in prison and he's, he's missing his friends deeply. And that he is, he's concerned about them and he wants them to live in a manner that reflects Christ. And that that manner is kenosis. Chapter 2 of Philippians, which is kind of, in my opinion, the, the pinnacle of the New Testament. It's, it's, it's the spot. If you want to know uh, everything it means to follow Jesus, Philippians 2, the, this, this topic of kenosis. And kenosis is a topic of, of letting go and it says that, that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ and that the mind of Christ is one that he laid himself down and made himself, even though he was God, he made himself a servant. And that's what we're supposed to be like is even though we're capable and competent and, and have volition and, and have drive that we're supposed to kind of lay down our lives and let God, let God do his thing. And then he continues and he talks about how Christianity is an inward faith that expresses itself on the outward, not the other way around. And so... The work of Christ is one that changes your insides and then your outside soon follows because we all know that you can act humble without being humble. You can act loving without being loving. And so Paul, Paul talks about uh, works of the flesh and try, trying to strive and, and do and be righteous by, your, by obeying the laws and stuff and says that's not where it's at. Where it's at is knowing Christ and Christ being in you. And as Christ is in you, then you are con- transformed into being humble. You are transformed into being loving. But then my friend Tremaine covered, uh, kind of touched on the idea last week that letting go doesn't mean passivity. A lot of times we, we think of letting go as, as doing nothing, and that's, that's not what Philippians says either. And in fact, he says this, he says, I press on, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, and he's already elaborated that that goal is to know Christ. And Tremaine mentioned Mother Teresa and the, the famous NFL pro Reggie White. And talked about how you look at these two people and you see something totally different. And you think of, you think of Mother Teresa as kind of a soft, genteel soul. Uh, and and she's, she's the, the, the natural expression that comes to our minds when we think of letting go. But Reggie White, who was bashing heads on the, on, on the gridiron, is, is not who you think of. And yet Reggie White, even, even though he was a Pro Bowl player many years, um, broke many records in a very, very aggressive and physical game. He was also a servant of Christ and set up foundations and ser- served Jesus uh, his whole life. And you see, a con- you see kind of a dichotomy of what it means to, be, to, to let go there. They, they seem like separate, separate types of people. But Mother Teresa, one of my favorite stories of Mother Teresa is Mother Teresa used to need, she, she served the poorest of the poor in, in Calcutta, India. That was, that was her, her life mission, was to live among the poorest of the poor. And a lot of times, you know, when, when she died, my understanding is she owned about two outfits to her name. That's about who she was and, or what she had. But there was a moment in her life when she needed medicine for some very sick people who were impoverished. 
and she went to a pharmacy and she said, hey, I need this medicine. You need to donate it for these, so these people will live. And the pharmacist says, I'm not donating that money to you. He says, I'm, what, what do I care about those people? Bring me some money. And, and Mother Teresa sat down in the middle of this pharmacist's or his, his store and sat and cross-legged and just prayed. Prayed, God, I pray that you would soften this man's heart, that he would care about something more than himself. He would care about people who are dying. He would care about people who are hurting and and, and just touch him, Lord, touch his heart, and just out loud kind of interrupted his day, interrupted his business, and finally the guy relented and said, fine, fine, take the medicine, just get out of here. And so, so even, even her, even, even the one we think of as kind of the, the, the letting go type person, was not passive at all. She was quite aggressive, and, and she saw a lot of money go through her hands to, to help the poor in her day. And so, as Tremaine mentioned, letting go does not mean being passive. It doesn't mean just letting life pass you by or giving up on life. That's not what it means at all. In fact, in Philippians it says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Meaning, when we talk about letting go, what that does is, when you, when you let go of ambition, when you let go of personal ambition and personal uh, desire, is it, 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 it frees your hands to grasp something else. If you're, if you're holding on to life and holding on to security and holding on to comfort and holding on to a quest for power or fame or or money, or whatever it is you're holding on to, your hands aren't open to receive from God what he wants to give you, which we'll, we'll talk about in just a moment. And in this world that's crazy where you, you might want to go out of your gourd, one of the things he wants to hand you is peace. That's, that's the key to this whole thing, is how not to lose your gourd in, in all these situations that I described is peace that comes from God. And so we're going to jump in here with Paul's advice, the five R's. He starts with, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. My, my, day, my mind immediately goes back to my Missouri Synod Lutheran youth camp days when we would sing, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And then we would sing it in rounds, and that, that haunts my memory when I hear this passage, but it's, it's baked into me now because I heard it so often as a child, is rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And this, this word in the Greek is charete. So, the, so that word, when it says, this thing that he's telling us to do is charity. That's the, the English translation of it. The English, um, the, the ultimate English development of this word was charity. Charity always. Rejoice. Charity in Jesus always. I'll say it again. Charity. But this chair idea, this... this um, this small collection of letters in the Greek alphabet appears, it's the derivative that many words come from. And so like chera or kara, my wife's, my wife's name is kara, and it means joy or delight, the kara is. Charis or cheris is grace. Cherisetai is freely given. The Eucharistia, the, when we talk about the Eucharist and taking the Lord's Supper, uh, the, the, the meal of the Lord, it means thanksgiving. There's, there's that charis baked into there. And charisma, where we get charisma or charisma from, which means a gift. So when you talk about the charismatic believers that, that believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation, they're, they're charismatics, they're charismatics. And so, so when we talk about charite, what we're kind of talking about here, so what he's commanding us to do is, is definitely not be happy always. That as we'll discuss in just a moment, that, that kind of depends on circumstance. But what he's talking about is responding to all this goodness. Jesus describes it like this. He says, freely you have received, freely give. 
And so when we talk about responding to all this goodness, what is, it, what is it that we have to be excited about? What is it that, that, that we're supposed to rejoice in, that we rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. And it's, it's the fact that no matter if the kids are screaming, no matter if there's financial difficulties, no matter if you're, you're dealing with your identity and people are bucking against your identity, no matter if you're trying to figure out if you should wear masks or not wear masks and, and whether whether people who take COVID seriously are the enemy or whether people who take it too loosely are the enemy and all this, all this junk that we deal with right now, he's saying there's something beyond that. There, there's more to that because it, it says in Hebrews, we have no lasting city. This is, this is not our home. This, this place where all that's going on, the stuff that drives you nuts and makes you go, ah, that, that, that's, this is not where you live. That's, that's what God wants to do in you is that this, this ain't home anymore. It says we seek a city that is to come. In Corinthians it says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. In other words, if, our, if, if Christ has not been raised, then our whole religion is kind of worthless and, and, and we have no response to this. But the fact that Christ has been raised shows that there's something else. There's something beyond this world where everything is oh, all the time and our kids aren't in school and maybe they're driving us crazy and we're not sure where we're going to get our next paycheck from and all, all this stuff that people are dealing with in COVID and, and who... who Again, the, the, the tribalism and the polarization and the racism and the hatred and all the, all the people doing like this. Scripture teaches us that this world is messed up and, and it will always be messed up and it's not home. It doesn't mean you don't work in this world because you do. It just means that you are somehow transcending it. That's a work God wants to do in your life is to help you transcend all the turmoil and chaos. In 2 Corinthians, and, and remember Paul, Paul was beaten left for dead, dragged out of cities, shipwrecked. Uh, in this case, he's in prison and doesn't know if he's going to live another day, at least in Philippians. He says, in all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. And I'm going to start bringing up some game changers as I go, go through those passages. Here's a game changer alert. He says, in all our troubles, there are no bounds. These, this, is, this is absolute language. It's, it's, it's saying... And he doesn't say, in some of my troubles I have joy. And joy, as we've as we read previously, the kara, the chera, is a gift freely given. It's, it's something received. He says, he says, in every single circumstance I have, whether I was beaten and bruised, left for dead, hungry, cold, shipwrecked, in prison, not knowing if I'm going to survive, he says, my joy is transcendent. There's no boundaries to my joy. Which, which speaks clearly that, that what he's saying is that it's not based on your circumstances. I saw these quotes that kind of sum it up for me. It's not happiness, and it's not circumstantial. These quotes I thought were brilliant. It says, happiness and happenstance are bickering bedmates, but joy is the good mood of a soul at peace. In other words, happiness is going to come and go. You can, you can bet when, when Paul was beaten so severely that they thought he was dead, he would not say that was the happiest day of his life. But he would say, my joy knew no bounds. Because joy is the good mood of a soul that is at peace. And it means whatever the circumstances, whether, whether I know where my next check is coming from, whether I'm getting along with my roommate, whether I'm being promoted at work, whatever the thing is, the stuff that makes you go like this, there's a transcendent peace that's available through God. And he says, he says, charite always, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again. 
Rejoice. Here's another game changer. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord occasionally. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when you're feeling good and life is good and you've had your coffee for the day. When does he say it? He says rejoice in the Lord always and always defies circumstance. It somehow transcends what's going on. It also assumes an infinite supply. This thing we're talking about, rejoice, cherete, is a chera, it's a gift, it's, 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 it's joy, cheriteste, I think, that comes from God. And it mean, if, if you're able to have that joy in all circumstances, which is what he says, rejoice in the Lord always, it must mean that there's this supply of it somewhere that is transcendent, that is, that is beyond, that is... It's a full supply and will always be a supply. And then I also want to point out, and I think it's so important to say this, that always in this passage, when he says rejoice in the Lord always, this is an invitation, not a condemnation. Because if you're like me, and you grew up thinking about God in a particular way, when it says rejoice in the Lord always, your immediate thought is, but I don't. I, I can't. I, I, I'm failing. And that's not what this passage is trying to do to you. It's not trying to do that in you. It's not trying to make you feel guilty for not rejoicing. It's trying to say, this gift is here. It's always here. Take it. Not, you're bad if you don't take it. It's an invitation, not a condemnation. And it's an invitation that defies circumstance, and it's an invitation that never runs dry. It's a well that never runs dry. So the first R is rejoice. The second R, resist. He says these words, and you'll notice some pretty absolute speech in it again. Do not be anxious about anything. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, there it is, transcendent peace that's beyond what you can think of, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about anxiety for just a minute. Um, Those who have dealt with what they would describe as clinical anxiety or psychiatric anxiety or just anxious feelings of worry. Man, this last year, year and a half has been has, has amplified that for everybody. And even, even a lot of people who maybe normally don't cope with, with, with that are now coping with the feeling that they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. They're experiencing heart palpitations and so forth. <laughs> and the language here is wild. It says, just don't. It's, it's like that old psychi- psychiatric skit where he says, stop it. That's, that's what this language says. It says, don't. Don't be anxious about anything. And in 2 Corinthians, it reads, we demolish arguments and every pretension, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And, and then it says this. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's the game changer alert. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. He says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Again, we'll talk about it in just a moment, but that means it transcends circumstance. But then that, that begs the question, what about mental health to me? I read that and I think, okay, so how does that, how does that involve chemistry? So certain, certainly Paul was aware that, that, that people are wired differently and this is easier for some than it is for others. And, and I just want to mention that you, you do live in chemicals. You know, we, we, we've talked in here a lot of times that we are spirits that occupy bodies and those bodies have have brain firings that go off all the time and i know that i feel closer to god if i have sugar or caffeine there's there's just something to these chemicals these chemicals 
do something to us, but, but we are more than chemicals. The scriptures describe us as spirits that live in a body. We are spiritual beings having a bodily experience, not bodily beings having a spiritual experience. And, and so I don't want to discount the fact that it, this is harder for some people than others because of their biology and because of their chemistry, but I do want to encourage you to address both the spiritual and the chemical, but resist anxiety. And what that means is don't give in to it. Keep, keep fighting that fight. Don't, you know, you hear people say, my anxiety does this or my anxiety does that, and they, they, there's like this ownership of it as if it defines them, and it doesn't have to, and it, it, it isn't. It's, it's, it's a part of this body that you're living in, this tent that you're occupying temporarily, but your volition, your will, your spirit affects it. And so in Corinthians, it would describe us as taking thought, every thought captive. And so I just want to encourage you, if you deal with anxiety if, if on a clinical level, if you're on medication, I, stay on the medication. Listen to your doctors. Do, do what, the, what, what the experts tell you to do. But also work on your spiritual life and let the peace of Christ come in and transform you. Again, it's another game changer. Do not be anxious about what? About anything. Not anything. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. We demolish every pretension and take every thought captive. And so when we talk about not anything, this, this absolute language, again, what it means is that whatever, whatever the circumstances are, not anything defies circumstance. It means don't, when it says don't be anxious about anything, it's describing all your circumstances in one big lump, and it's saying all of it, don't be anxious, don't be scared, don't worry. Your identity is not one of worry and fear. It also assumes an infinite supply of an answer, which we find in the passage that the peace of God transcends all understanding will, be, will, will, will change your heart and your mind. There's an infinite supply of this peace. And once again, this is an invitation, not a condemnation. When, he's, when he says, be anxious for nothing, he's not saying, you worry warts, you, you people... You people that are scared all the time, what's wrong with you people? He's, he's saying this is an invitation that, there's, that there's, a, there's a way to deal with this. That he's encouraging you to fight it and resist it and not, not give in and, and to allow the peace of God into your life and not to own anxiety, not to, not to claim it as your identity, but to, to recognize that God wants you to be at peace. He wants, he wants you to have that gift of peace in the middle of nasty circumstances and situations. And he continues for our third R. So the first R was rejoice. The second R is resist anxiety. The third R, and we're going to fly through some of these. The third R is to make your request known to God. Request. And he says in every situation, you notice that language again, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This word present in the Greek is nor is etho. And it comes from the same word as, as gnosis. Gnosis is knowledge, to know. The Gnostics were, were people who believed there was a hidden knowledge about God that you could embrace and find God. And, and uh, they were all about knowledge. And So this word that says present your request to God um, is a, a little misleading in the English, in my opinion, because to, be made, to make something known is different than offering something, and it, it kind of encapsulates both ideas. But it, this, this really, it, this Greek word bothers me in this passage, and, it, and prayer has always been challenging for me because 
of the way this really kind of drives me insane is that what does this have to do with God's omniscience? So how, how do you make something known to a being who knows all? It seems like an impossible task. And so either he doesn't know all or, the, or, the, or Paul was speaking kind of absurdly. And I've, I've had a hard time with this teaching of Jesus my whole life. My whole life, my prayer life has been haunted by this idea. Because, and and, in, and in the, Jesus in Matthew 7 coming up after he says this is saying, don't worry. He's saying, don't have anxiety. And part of why you shouldn't worry is because God knows, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, that's always driven me crazy because then why, why bother? Why say? Why present? Why petition? Why, why pray if he already knows everything? Why not just go through with life and kind of direct your heart towards him or something? And I was praying one time, despite, despite my nah, about prayer that I've always carried with me, I was praying one time in my college years and I felt like God spoke to me and you know, maybe it was my imagination, maybe it was just a thought, but I felt like God said to me, tell me about your day. And I said to God, well, that's kind of dumb, because you know about my day. And I felt, I felt like this, this desire, this prompting to, to go ahead and talk about my day. And so I said, all right, all right, fine. I know it doesn't make any sense, but then talking to you has never made sense to me anyway, so here we go. I woke up this morning way too early because those stupid dogs... And the neighbors have they get them, they put them out there early and they start barking and whining and screaming and and they drive me nuts and 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 so maybe maybe you could do something about that maybe you could change the way my neighbors operate or kill the dogs or something was kind of my thought at the time I'm I'm being totally transparent and honest with God I think you ought to be and I didn't mean it but I felt it I said and then then I had to get up and go to class and I've got this physics test today that I'm not feeling very great about but I've I've got another two hours to study, and I mean, you know all this, but I'm telling you anyway, and maybe you could, maybe you could help me with that test. And, and you see that somehow in this process of, talk, of making known my life to a God who already knows all, something was happening in me. It, it wasn't that I was twisting God's arm so that he'd help me with the dogs waking me up early in the morning. It wasn't that I was you know, poking him in the chest saying, hey, help me with this test. It's that I was tuning in. It's that I was connecting with a father who loved me, who already knew about the dogs, who already knew about my test, who already knew about my day, and he knew about my job and my finances and everything else that makes you go, ah, but, I'm, but I'm turning towards him. And when it says present your request to God or make known your request to God, it's kind of talking about putting them in his hands. If we talk about a present, if you present something, it's, it's the same derivative as as a present, it's something you, you say, here, here it is. And it says, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will invade your hearts and minds. And so rejoice, experience thanksgiving, and then ultimately is present. But you're going to make your requests. You're going you're, you're gonna, you're gonna to present this to God and offer it up to God and make your requests known to God. And then it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And again, there's some game, changer, game changers here. It says in every situation you do this. And if, if that's the case, then everything, it defies your circumstances. It, it no longer has to do with, with what's going on around you, this, this requesting from God. It assumes an infinite supply, and it is an invitation, not a condemnation. So when it says 
make every request known to God, it's not saying you better be good. You better, you better be right before God and bow down before him and, do, and, and, and say, the, say the right things to him. It's saying, hey, God's here. He's ready. Make your request known. And then he closes up this part with brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So he says to rejoice. He says to resist anxiety. He says to put request, put, put these hands in God's, put these things that make you go, oh, all the stuff that you're worried about and the feelings that you're having for your kids that are not in school right now and, and their lives and your lives and the whole combination of the whole ugly mess. He says, lay it, lay it at the feet of Jesus, lay it at God's hands and, and, and then God will do something. God, God is doing something and that peace is available. But then he says, Try not to think so much about all the crud, all the work stress, and all the, all the worry, all the stuff that you're afraid of, and the relationships that maybe are really, really suffering because of all the friction going on right now, and, and the hurt that you've experienced, and the condemnation you've experienced from other people. And he says, try not to think about that stuff. He says, instead, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, true, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things. So I want to encourage you to check your headphones. Meaning, in this world that is already so chaotic, what are you feeding yourself? Like, like what is it that feeds your anxiety? Or what is it that feeds your worry? Or your... Ah, what, you know, what, when it comes to media, when it comes to music, when it comes to television and movies and stuff, what, it, what is the stuff that you're you're putting in yourself and because, because Paul is in, encouraging us to take in stuff that's lovely, to take in stuff that's beautiful. And I, 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 I think it's fair to say that most of us don't practice that too well. You know, the, the news that we listen to is news that just, it's just bad news all the time. And I think God would say, find some, find some sources of life. Find Find, find some, some preachers and some teachers that, that you connect with and, and listen to them. Find, find some people that feed your soul and let them f- speak into your life and so forth. And, and there's both internal and external cases. of or this, this, this is affected by both internal voices and external voices. And if your internal voice is saying, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're going nowhere, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, don't even try it, you're going to fail... Those aren't the voices you're supposed to listen to because they're not true. It's not noble. It's not lovely. You've got to learn. You've got to somehow take those thoughts captive and and allow it to be changed to a different voice. So both internal and external, I think he would say, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is truthful, whatever is admirable, listen to those things. And then it says, the final R is to relate. It says, and the God of peace will be with you. And we can read this as, if I do X, if I rejoice, if I resist, if I request, and so forth, we can say, if I do those things, the God of peace will be with me. Or you can read this as, and know this, God of peace will be with you. And I believe that's what it's saying. I believe, I believe it's saying that do it or not, it's there. This endless supply that is beyond circumstance, 
that transcends your life, that is not, it's not a, it's not a condemnation, it's, a, it's an invitation. It, it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. The peace of God is there. The peace of God is there. And that's what Paul's reemphasizing here. And you'll notice when he says to rejoice, he says to rejoice in the Lord. When he says to make your request known, he says make your request known to God. And then he says things like this. He says, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything. In the peace of who? The peace of God in Christ Jesus. He says, for this sake I have suffered the loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him. And so he's not talking about a conjured up peace. He's not talking about life is this and I've got to figure out a way to calm it down and catch my breath and turn it into this and practice deep breathing. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying there is this infinite supply of peace available. Take it. And it comes from God. It's the peace of God. Not the peace of Chris Mueller. Not the peace of my son Siler. Not the peace of Jermaine Shellman. It's not, it's, not, it's, it's not something you can make happen. It's the peace of God. And he says it comes by gaining Christ and being found in him. And somehow we turn towards him and he does it. So part of this passage is just, an, again, about letting go of let, letting go. Of letting go. You, you, you'll never work hard enough to have that special gift. I, I love the way it was, it was described earlier, that peace is the good mood of us, or joy is the good mood of a soul at peace. It's not something you can manufacture. It's a gift that God wants to give you. And I encourage you to ask him for it and let him do his thing. And all this, nah, and all this stuff that drags you down, turn towards him and allow him to come in. Let go of your striving. Let go of your working in order to get a hold of who he is. And I believe that's where peace will come from in all these rough circumstances.